0: Well, before we jump in, we're going to do a little exercise that we did last week. I don't know if you were here, but I got a lot of feedback from it. And it's something that I do uh, kind of intuitively before I study the scriptures. And I realize that not everybody does it. And so I want to, one, do it now so that it'll help us in our time in the Word. But I also want to do it as a way to kind of model um, a very, very simple spiritual discipline for you that would be so powerful. So what we're going to do is we have a prayer we're going to put on the screen, and um, we're going to pray it three times really slowly together. You'll f- follow my lead and my cadence, and in between each time, we'll have a, a little bit of silence. Um, we do it. Th- I do it three times, or at least three times, not because God doesn't hear it the first time, but because sometimes I feel like my heart and my skull is thick, and I need several times for it to penetrate me, not so that God can hear it, that makes sense. So, um, before we do that, I want to uh, encourage you to maybe, uh, uh, maybe close your eyes and take a big, deep breath and to maybe exhale all of the stuff that easily entangles you. I want you to pray this with me, but f- uh, follow my speed. Jesus, my risen Lord as you did for your disciples in Emmaus, open my mind to your scriptures and my eyes to your presence this day, that I may act on your word and take joy in your grace. Amen. Jesus, my risen Lord, as you did for your disciples in Emmaus, Open my mind to your scriptures and my eyes to your presence this day, that I may act on your word and take joy in your grace. Amen. One more time. Jesus, my risen Lord, as you did for your disciples in Emmaus, open my mind to your scriptures and my eyes to your presence this day, that I may act on your word and take joy in your grace. Amen. God, thank you for being here. I know we prayed a lot, but it's what we do. And more than um, clever sayings, more than anything, God, We desire you and the reality of your finished work on the cross, the reality of the empty tomb. So we invite you to come and open our minds and open our eyes and do the thing you're very good at doing. Encourage us. Amen. I grew up in church and as a church kid, one of the things I learned, I don't know that it was ever said to me like specifically, but... I think I picked it up was that to be a mature and good Christian meant that you had to have it all together. And that you should if you if you do uh if you are on a medication or if you do go to counseling you shouldn't tell anybody because that would make them think you're you're less than or you're you're you know whatever. And so growing up in church I just uh I don't I don't know. I don't know if this was your experience. If you grew up in church, but my experience was that I had to act like I had it together Sunday. I wore the best clothes that I had. Uh, you know, you always presented your best and did your best. And if somebody asks you how you're doing on Sunday morning, you're supposed to say I- I'm fine, which is an acronym or something. And so, you know, you can figure that out on your own. Um, and I struggled with that internally because. Um, Life isn't perfect, and life throws you curveballs, and there's, there's disappointments and heartbreaks and hope deferred and broken dreams and hurts and wounding and, and injuries and suffering and all kinds of, you know, you just live life, and you, you have this stuff to deal with. But at church, you weren't allowed to talk about it. So um, I don't know if that's uh, true for you, but that was true for me. And maybe about, I mean, what year was it? 14 years ago. I heard somebody say, it's okay to not be okay, just don't lie about it or stay there. And it was the first time someone in church gave me permission to be honest about where I was. And I just grabbed onto this quote in it 14 years ago, and it was a catalyst for just, uh, let's just be honest and let's not stay where we're at, you know. It kind of became an unofficial motto of our church um, because I would say it to people, and I re- realized, man, it just resonates with people. Because uh, there's, uh, there's this, maybe there's this temptation we have to project to the world. Everything's great on social media, but behind the scenes it's falling apart. So um, I don't know. Well, so this has an emphasis on our responsibility. Just don't lie about it or stay there, which is kind of like the work you and I do. And a few weeks ago, I came across another version of this I had never seen before, and it's absolutely lovely. It's going to be hard for me to change, but I love it. And it's, um, it's okay to not be okay, but the difference is God meets you where you are. And this has the emphasis on God coming to us in our mess, and really God initiating this process. And so when I think about this statement, it's okay to not be okay, God meets you where you are. It reminds me of Thomas and how Thomas is not doing okay on Resurrection Sunday. Um, he's not doing okay eight days later. And how Jesus makes a special trip eight days after the resurrection just to meet Thomas where he's at and to give Thomas what Thomas needs. And so uh, we're going to talk about Thomas today. Uh, if you know Thomas, do you know Thomas's nickname that he's got? you say it? Doubting Thomas, which is such an unfortunate nickname. Um, I hope to do Thomas a favor and give him um, a better nickname. Um, I, I wanna, we're going to talk about doubt, and I, I want to frame doubt. There's a lot of ways you could look at doubt, and there's a lot of ways you could think about doubt, but if, if you could let me, I'd like to frame for you uh, the way I look at doubt and the way I've learned to look at doubt um, b- because we are believers like we believe something, that's what sets us apart, is we have a belief. Um, but if you have a doubt about anything, maybe it's God's goodness, God's character, God's existence, whatever, but you're a believer, that, that seems to be a very hard thing because the basis of our faith is that we believe in something. But if you doubt that belief, you get it. Um, as a result, there's a lot of stigma and there can be a lot of shame for people who doubt. And so people don't necessarily talk about it a lot. But I'd like to just encourage you that um, God can handle your doubts. He can handle them. Um, it, when we, when we uh, studied the Psalms in the fall, uh, we just discovered, like, man, the Psalms is this, this great book in the middle of the Bible that's full of... It's the only book in the Bible that has all of the human emotions in it, like the whole f- full spectrum. I think it was like 72 or 90 different, different emotions that are expressed in the Psalms and... Um, As I think it was Eugene Peterson that I read, it was like, if you need to cuss at God, the Psalms give you permission to do that. Uh, You know, and I advocate that you honor God and that you respect him, but the reality is if you're in such, if you're in a moment where you need to scream at God or you even need to swear at God, if he can't handle it, by definition, is he God? You know, and so um, it, same thing with doubts. If you have a question or if you're struggling with something, you don't have to walk on eggshells around God. He can handle it. He's God. Uh, when, you, when you doubt, you're in good company. Gideon, I don't know if you've heard about Gideon, but he doubted God's call in his life because he was the smallest guy from the smallest tribe. Abraham and Sarah, um, Abraham, pretty significant person in the Old Testament, doubted and laughed at God's promise of a son. Job uh, doubted... Uh, God said, you know, he couldn't find anyone on the earth like Job, but he doubted God's goodness in the midst of an incredible loss. John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, Jesus said there's never been anyone born of woman greater than John the Baptist, and at the end of his life, he you think about this, John the Baptist baptized Jesus, heard the voice of God the Father and saw the Spirit in the form of the dove. Like John the Baptist probably like one of the only people who saw and experienced the Trinity like, like there. He heard the Father, saw Jesus dripping wet, the Son, saw the Spirit in the form of the dove. Like I've never seen all three persons physically or heard them. John the Baptist did, and yet he sent messengers to Jesus asking if he was actually the Messiah. John the Baptist doubted. So when you doubt, you're in good company. Many of us have made the story of Thomas to be about uh, this intellectual or this skeptic or this critic and that he's doubting. What we know about doubt is that doubt is a symptom. I'd like for you to remember this the next time you doubt. Because uh, just as anger is a secondary emotion to alert us that something's wrong that we need to give our attention to, just like um, a check engine light in your car goes off to alert you that there's something under the hood you need to pay attention to, doubt is very similar to those. Doubt is the symptom of something else that's going on. And so when you doubt, or when you have a bout with doubt, Don't get stuck in the questions. Let the questions point you to that there's something deep, deep, deep beneath the surface that God wants to speak to. Usually, doubt comes when something's wrong, when there's a loss, when there's a time of suffering, when there's an unexpected event, when your hope is deferred, when you have a broken heart or a broken dream, when life is crushing you, when life is kicking you in the teeth. It's usually those times that doubt comes. When I look back on my life following Christ, the greatest moments of breakthrough in health come from seasons of suffering and heartache and doubt. In those seasons that you can feel like you're weak or that you're immature or that you're unhealthy. But it is those exact seasons that God uses to bring maturity and health and breakthrough. And so if you are here today listening later on, and you're struggling with doubt or questions in whatever, you know, whatever realm that is. Okay, there's a lot of different versions of it. I just want to encourage you to say, "Hey, God's up to something. God's coming to you in this tough season, and the result is that you will be stronger and your faith will be stronger because of it." So, um, let's go to John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 19. I believe that Thomas. Um, deeply loves Jesus. There's nothing, um, there's no evidence the scriptures give us that he is this uh, intellectual, academic, scientific critic. Um, all the evidence we'd find in scripture is that he's one of the 12. He's deeply committed. He's not like Judas. He really, really, really loves Jesus. But um, I agree with the theologians who say that he's discouraged, he's depressed, and he's despairing. And as a result of his discouragement, his depression, and his despair, doubt has shown up on the scene. And I want you to focus not on Thomas necessarily, but I want you to focus on how our Lord comes to someone who's depressed and discouraged and despairing. We're going to start in verse 19 of John 20. This is the resurrection day. Previously, Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden. Then, last week, we looked in Luke 24 of how Jesus appears to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then now, that evening, this is still Resurrection Sunday. Here's what Christ does. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, This is his favorite greeting. Peace be with you. He speaks peace to their fear. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They were inside, locked, afraid for their lives. Circumstances don't change, but when they see Jesus, their hearts change, and they go from being sad and anxious and fearful to being glad just because they see Jesus. It's a great lesson there. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is John's version of the Great Commission. Now that was on Resurrection Sunday. Now, verse 24, Thomas, one of the 12, called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. We don't know why. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails. And more than that. He's like, for you is good enough to see him, but me, I need more than that. I need more than visual evidence. I need to place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. Unless I do that, I will never believe this is Thomas not because he's an intellectual or an academic and he needs empirical evidence because he's broken hearted that he just saw his rabbi wrongly executed by the government this is just you know a day and a half later from the crucifixion there's always um, a moment in these stories that makes me go God, Jesus that's why I love you And it's here in verse 26. So that was Resurrection Sunday. Eight days later, his disciples were in sight again. And this time, Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. here's, Here's the verse I love out of all this. Then he turned to Thomas. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. God meets you where you're at. The resurrected Lord knows where Thomas's heart is, and he knows what he said, and he knows what Thomas needs. And Jesus is the author and perfecter of the faith, and so the author and perfecter of Thomas's faith needs to show up and perfect the faith that is struggling with Thomas. And he makes another trip to the same room eight days later. He meets Thomas right there. And he doesn't just show up in the room and ask for Thomas to, like, engage him. Then he said to Thomas, Jesus took the first step to the despairing disciple. And he said, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Verse 28, Thomas answered him. And if you're reading, let's say these the next five words together. My Lord and my God, exclamation point. That's the climax of John's gospel. It begins, uh, the whole point of John is to to teach people to believe in Jesus. And uh, I think it's in, uh, I forget the chapter, maybe it's chapter one or two of of John, where I think Philip brings Jesus to Nathanael under the tree, and Jesus tells Nathanael, hey, I saw you. Under the tree, and Nathaniel says, You are the Son of God. And previously, before that, John the Baptist says, This is the Son of God. And this kind of like, those are two early confessions in John's gospel. It's like pointing to Jesus, saying, You are that, right? But here, this is a completely different confession. And it's the greatest confession in John's gospel where Thomas, who's brokenhearted, sees this Jesus coming back for a second time, puts his hands on the wounds. And his confession is not you are the son of God, but that's for me, my Lord, my God. You know, it's okay to not be okay. God meets you where, you where you're at. It's okay to not be okay, but don't just stay there. Grab hold of the finished work of Christ and put your hands there and go, that is mine. The nail-scarred hands are mine. The, 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 the side pierced is mine, my Lord, my God, not just this thing for other people, not just this thing out here, but like he makes it personal. And there's this great little beatitude here. Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me, and this is for you? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I had a ton of notes to share with you there, but we'll cut it short. You're welcome. We'll put up, this is the last, okay, let's put up the application questions. We've been in worship. We've confessed. We've just read the scriptures. You don't need me to comment more on it. I just want to ask you some questions here for, for you to maybe recognize where, where Jesus may be meeting you. Do you need peace from Jesus? Several times in here, he says, peace be with you. Uh, Is there an area where you're discouraged, brokenhearted, depressed, maybe frustrated? How is Jesus seeking to love you in your weakness? Here's a great little question. Have you fully received him as your Lord and God? Have you, you know, and it's kind of like a daily confession, just like today, have you functionally, maybe you're a believer already? You're like, have you functionally said, "My Lord, my God, yes." Not just in theory, but in practice, yes. I know that the pain that's in this room, I know the heartache and the questions that are in this room, and, and I'm right there with you. I'm not exempt from it. But really the answer is meeting the risen Lord and just saying, "You're mine, and I want you. Let's pray. Father, we say thank you for loving the world so much that you would send your only son to meet us right where we're at. Jesus, we thank you for being that type of Lord that would make an extra trip to the same room with the same people for the one who's brokenhearted and wasn't there the first time. Holy Spirit, thank you for being present in this room and being really good at revealing the person and work of Jesus to us. We ask for your help. You know exactly where we need you in every domain of our life that we're struggling with. Lord, help us to be honest. To have the courage and boldness to just be honest. And to lay it before you. Just as Thomas was bold and saying, this is what I need. Lord, help us to be bold to say, this is what we need. Once Again. God, we ask that you would reinforce and renovate and rehab the broken hearts and the broken minds that are here. We know there's no shame and there is no condemnation. God, we look to you We don't look to the mountains. We look to the maker of the mountains. Our help is in your name, Jesus, who made heaven and earth. Come quickly and meet us. Thank you for being faithful to your promise to inhabit the praises of your people. As we've lifted up songs to you and confessions to you, in this moment, God, we lift our hearts to you and we give you the thanksgiving and the praise you deserve. Father, we bring you these gifts, these humble gifts of creation. And we ask that you would sanctify them by your Spirit to be for us, your people, the body and blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. We remember on the night when Jesus was betrayed, that he took the bread and he said the blessing and he broke it and he gave it to his friends and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. So, Father, we celebrate and we remember, we recall this memorial which Jesus has commanded. By means of this holy bread and cup, we show forth the sacrifice of his death and we proclaim his resurrection until he comes again. Gather us by this holy communion into one body in your Son, Jesus Christ. And make us, your people, a living sacrifice of praise. Friends, let's pray as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses